Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. My name's Craig. I'm the senior pastor here, and it is our privilege to have you with us as we've gathered together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been working our way through the book of Acts, and if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 17. As you're turning there, I do want to just take a minute to especially welcome our guests. If you're a guest with us this morning, please do me a favor and fill out one of our connection cards. You can find them either tucked into the back of your pew or you can tear one, oh, I don't have a bulletin in my hand, you can tear one off of your bulletin. You can even go to our website at malvernhill.org connect and you can find it that way. If none of those ways are easy enough for you, there's even a QR code on the card in front of you and you can scan that. Here's the reality, you don't have any excuse not to do it. We've tried to make it really easy, so do it for us. It would really help us a lot. I'm not going to come see you this afternoon, but I sure would like to drop a letter in the mail to you this week. We do have a Next Steps class this afternoon. If you visited with us once or a hundred times and you're interested in what it might look like to be a member of Malvern Hill, or if you just got questions about what it would look like to be a member of Malvern Hill, I invite you to join with us in that Next Steps class. I will meet you right here in the sanctuary at 4 o'clock, and then from there uh, I will direct you. There's a little room right behind that door, but you might not know where that is. So I'll be looking for you at 4 o'clock this afternoon, uh, and I'd look forward to having you there. And then finally, two weeks from today, on April the 30th, we do have a life group fellowship. So life group leaders, if you've not already made plans for that, I hope that you will do so. If you don't have a life group, see Pastor Kevin after service and he can help you find one. Uh, we would love for this to be a great opportunity for you to get, find a deeper connections within your church family. All right, I've said all that and now the big one. May 7th is coming up, right? Everybody remember that? We didn't forget. May 7th, because even though it's the Sunday after Easter, there's still nowhere to sit over there So uh, and, and part of the place over here. So uh, May 7th, we're going to two services so that we have room not only for you, but for you to invite somebody to come with you. We're trying to make space so that more folks can come home to Malvern Hill. So on May the 7th, we will have service at 8.30 and at 11 o'clock with Life Group in the middle. Uh, we have sent out, and we will send out again. We will continue to send it out. Make sure you have access to it. An opportunity for you to RSVP for when you plan to be here. We're not going to hold you accountable to that just to show up, but it, it helps us to get an idea about how to plan if you'll just let us know which service you're planning to attend. So having said all of that, I've given you plenty of time to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me in honor of God's word. And we're going to read the first nine verses of Acts chapter 17. Throughout this sermon, we're also going to find ourselves making it over into the book of 1 Thessalonians. All right. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, on three days, and on three days, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. 
And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would give us understanding through your word. Help us to see through or see past all of the argument and the, and the, 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 the fighting that takes place in this passage to the gospel behind all of it. Pray that you give us wisdom in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. If, if we were taking Acts 17 and turning it into a social media story, we would be focusing on the fight, wouldn't we? If we wanted to get as many clicks as we could, we'd focus all on the fight. Because that's what helps people to look. If it bleeds, it leads. If we called the newspaper, they wouldn't be interested in the first part, but they'd be very interested in what took place at the end. Well, this morning, for our purposes, we're going to focus less on the end and a lot more on the beginning. We're going to focus on what it was that brought about these disagreements, what it was that brought about these fights. But we're not going to get, get bogged down in the weeds of the disagreement. Instead, this morning, I want us to focus on the very plain gospel that the Apostle Paul continued to preach over and over and over again. And so this morning, the question that we're going to wrestle with is this. Is it really enough? Now, if I've got any English teachers with us, I understand that I don't actually have to say really. I know that. But I, I wanted to give a little bit of emphasis this morning just asking that question. Is it really enough? Is the gospel really all that we need? Seems too easy, doesn't it? And yet, over and over, that's what we, we see Paul doing. Walking into a very, brand new place and giving them the plain and simple gospel. If you want a, a further picture, and we're going to be flipping back and forth a little bit this morning, you could turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, if you can't find Thessalonians, I know it's a crazy little name, so let me help you. You're going to go uh, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, right? And then you're going to go General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, okay? And then on the back end of that, if you're not careful, you'll skip right over Thessalonians and find yourself in the pastoral epistles. But Thessalonians is going to be in between those, right after um, the book of Colossians, you're going to find yourself in 1 Thessalonians. If you've got an extra finger this morning, you can stick it right there in 1 Thessalonians because we're going to be jumping back and forth. The real narrative of exactly what takes place in Thessalonica is actually captured not primarily in Acts chapter 17, but primarily in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we've got the parallel account of Paul's story of what's happening in Acts chapter 17. And so this morning, as we wrestle with that question of is it really enough, I just want you to know that we're going to see in the book of 1 Thessalonians as well in Acts 17 that the gospel really is enough. It's enough for the Thessalonians. It's enough for your neighbor. It's enough for you. So this morning, let's look at three things this morning for us to consider as we seek to be the kind of people who share the good news and the hope of Jesus Christ. The first thing I want to make sure that you understand is you've got to give them the gospel. You have to give people the gospel. Remember, this is what Paul says, or what Luke, I'm sorry, writing about Paul says. When they had passed through all these places, they came to Thessalonica. Thessalonica was the leading city of Macedonia. It's the capital city, as it were, of this area. So it's a primary place. Remember that just last week we saw that Paul was in Philippi and there was no synagogue. Remember, he went and he met, by, met with the women who were praying by the river. In this particular place, it was a large enough city, an important enough place where there was enough, a large enough gathering of Jews that there was a synagogue. And so it was Paul's practice when there was a synagogue to go to that synagogue and to reason with the people. And so he goes there and he begins the same thing that he's done over and over and over again. The Bible says he spent three Sabbath days 
reasoning from the scriptures with the people, convincing them that Jesus was the Messiah and that it was necessary for the Messiah to die, to rise again, and, 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 and to, excuse me, that it was necessary for the Messiah to die and rise again. Folks, we've got to give people the gospel. What is the gospel? See, you can't give it to them until you know what it is, right? Here's what the gospel is. The gospel is the, bur- the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Paul's going to not only give us that right here in Luke's retelling in Acts. Paul tells us that in Acts chapter 5, or excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is how it is that he describes the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, listen to me. If we're going to see people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they have to hear about Jesus. And they've got to hear the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and his resurrection. I hope that you'll share your testimony with people. I hope that people hear you talking about what God means to you in your life, what Jesus has done. I hope they'll hear from you about the Holy, how the Holy Spirit has worked and empowered you. But I want you to know that your testimony, your story of God's work in your life is not the gospel. It's not. Picking up trash on the street is a good thing to do, but that is not the gospel. Taking somebody a a, a loaf of bread when they're hungry is a good thing to do, but that's not the gospel. Folks, we have to give people the gospel. The Bible says that when Paul showed up in a place, the first thing he did is he went to the place where he could find people gathered, and he began to reason with them from the scriptures about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can actually get there. Now, the Bible says that Paul reasoned from the scriptures. What scriptures was Paul reasoning from? You know that he didn't have the Romans road. He didn't have John 3.16, right? He didn't have some of these, these, these easy texts that he could pull from. No, Paul is reasoning from the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, what he's doing is he's gathering all these Jewish people together and he's taking their text, their scripture, their sacred text, the Old Testament, and he's using their text and he's using that to show them that their understanding of the Messiah was wrong. He's saying, no, 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 this Jesus Christ whom I speak to you about is the one that you've anticipated, the one you've hoped for and prayed for. It's just that you didn't fully understand exactly what he was going to be. It was actually necessary that the Messiah come, live among us, die, and then be raised again. Those things were a requirement for the gospel to be good news. Paul went and he preached the gospel. Now, if you... Turn over with me to 1 Thessalonians. You'll see that he spoke in there of the fact that when he, when he preached the gospel among them, that he did so in verse 5. We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. Paul says we just came with the gospel. To the Corinthians, he would say we came preaching foolishness among you. I brought nothing to you except for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, when he spoke to the Thessalonians about not preaching with flattery, he wasn't speaking of the way that we might think of flattery. That word in the original doesn't mean flattery in the way that we might. So if I was trying to flatter you, I might speak to you about how great your hair looked today, how wonderful that shirt looked on you. I might speak about your shoes. I might even talk to you about how beautiful your eyes are and how the blue in the carpet brings out the blue in your eyes. And some of you would realize how thick I was laying it on in that moment, right? And you'd begin to roll your eyes and go, what do you want from me? 
Paul wasn't speaking about that kind of flattery. Instead, in, in, in its original context, what Paul was saying is, I didn't come seeking to tickle your ears with a message that you wanted to hear. I didn't stick my finger in the wind and figure out which way the winds were blowing and craft my message to fit the expectation of the culture around me. I brought the gospel. Knowing that the gospel was offensive, that's still the only thing I brought. Folks, listen to me. If you want to be offensive in the world around you, just give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a jerk. The gospel is offensive enough. See, we forget how offensive the gospel is because you grew up in the Bible Belt. And you grew up with a version of cultural Christianity that's led you to believe that you can just sort of sprinkle a little bit of Jesus in whatever you're doing, and that's okay. But the gospel is actually very different. The gospel says this. The gospel says everything you're doing is wrong. You are incapable of making it right. And only Jesus Christ can give you the hope that you need for eternal life. That's the gospel. The gospel says you are helplessly broken. Only Jesus can fix it. You want to offend people? Look at Americans and tell them there's nothing they can do to fix themselves. That's pretty offensive. Take it a step further and say, you are helplessly broken and sinful and wrong and you are destined for hell and only Jesus Christ can save you. Oh, we can get so caught up in the culture wars and we lose the gospel in the middle of the culture war. Give them Jesus. Paul said, I wasn't worried about what everybody else thought. I came to you with only one thing, Christ and Him crucified. Give them the gospel. Look, a church can do many things, but it must proclaim the gospel. A church can do many things, but it must proclaim the gospel. I get phone calls a lot, emails, text messages. Pastor, have you thought about whether our church should do this? Yeah, I've thought about it. It seemed like a great idea, you know. Pastor, should we do that? Well, maybe we could. Every once in a while, I love this one. Hey, what do you think about, and I love, I love this one. I say, wow, it sounds like the Lord's really put that on your heart. I would love it if you took that and ran with it. Usually, I get them running, but not with it. You know what I mean? Listen, there's a lot of things we can do. There's a lot of things that we do as a church body and as individuals within the church body. There are mission efforts that we have, ministry efforts. We, 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 we feed people, we care for people, we love on people. There are things that we can do. If we so choose, we can go out and clean the trash off the roads. We can beautify the world around us. We can plant trees. We can do anything that we might want to do. But folks, there's a few things that we must do. And one thing that we must do above all else is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It can never take a back seat. In the book of Revelation, John writes to these seven churches, and one of those is the church at Ephesus. And to the church at Ephesus, he says, you're doing a great thing, but i got this thing against you. You have forgotten your first love. You've forgotten that for which you began. Folks, do we proclaim the gospel over and over and over again? Remember, when I say the church must do that, the church is made up of people. Y'all remember that, right? Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, where's all the people, remember that one? But then you do it the right way, here's the church, here's the people, open the doors, there's all the people, remember that? That's because it's the people that make the church, it's the body of Christ. If the only way that we're proclaiming the gospel is corporately, and look, what's my promise always been to y'all? If you don't feel comfortable at a place in your Christian journey where you're ready to start in telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you'll invite them to church, I'm going to give them the gospel. That's my promise to you. You get them here, we're going to get them the gospel. 
But our proclamation of the good news of Jesus can't only be corporate. It has to be done by the body, by individuals within the church that's going out and telling others about this Jesus Christ who actually lived and actually died and actually rose again, and he did it for your sins and for mine. We've got to proclaim the gospel. We've got to give it to them. We've got to give them the gospel. Who are the them? The people that are outside the walls of this church. Remember, I'm thrilled to death if you're a guest with us this morning. It, nothing makes me happier than for you to be here today if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You're just here. You, felt, you thought that maybe you'd find hope and healing here. Nothing gives me greater joy. I pray for you every week. Those of you that wander in that way, I pray for you every week. And I believe that God has brought you here for a purpose. But I want all the rest of us to know this. If we're going to reach people who are in desperate need of Jesus, we can't rely on reaching them inside this building. We're going to make extra room. We're having an extra service. Now, I've told you, I want you to invite somebody. It doesn't make any sense for us to have extra room if we don't bring somebody with us. You know what I mean? It's just a waste of our time if we have a second service. I work our, our volunteers to death. Y'all work me to death just so y'all can be a little more comfortable. I love y'all. I'm not too worried about your comfort. I'm a whole lot worried about all the people outside of this place that need Jesus and are being reached. I mean, my challenge to all of us is going to be that we see our attendance grow by 100 in the next three months. That's a big challenge. But there's also absolutely no reason for us to go to two services unless we're going to be serious about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to invite you to do some things with us as we prepare for those services, as we prepare to make room for people. One of the things that we're going to do, we're going to have a, a week of prayer leading up to that. You're going to get an email invitation about that. We're going to ask you to sign up for times. We're getting real crazy. We're going to try and pray 24 hours a day for the week leading up to that, that move to two services. We're going to ask you to sign up for a time slot. Is my mic cutting out again? Y'all, I'm tired of this thing. somebody to donate about 10 grand so I can figure out what's wrong with that. Because it's, it's, it's probably not cheap to resolve the issue, so somebody just write a check before you leave today. That would make life so much easier. Alright. We're, we're going to invite, we're going to ask somebody to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and be praying. Because we believe that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Right? We're not going to two services so we can pad my ego or we can feel better about ourselves. We're going to two services because there's 70,000 people in this community. About 60% of them don't have any relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we don't reach them, they may not get reached. You understand? We've got to give them the gospel. All right, moving on. We've got to give them the gospel. The second thing, we've got to give them a listening ear. We have to give them a listening ear. Listen, do, do you see gospel proclamation as a presentation or a conversation? If we're not careful, we can just view the, our opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as a presentation rather than an invitation to a relationship, rather than a conversation. You ever been in that situation where you were so adamant, so eager and excited to get your point across that you stopped listening to what anybody else had to say? I know I have, right? Some of y'all have been in conversations with me and say, yeah, we've been interrupted by you a few times. Something I have to work on, just for the record. But do you see 
your gospel presentations as a presentation or a conversation? What's it look like to invite someone to Jesus? Listen, we need to seek to impress people with God's love and not your own cleverness. Right? Don't try to bait people into this, this bait and catch. I, I went fishing you know, for just a little bit last night. I caught the smallest fish of my life, I think, last night. It was amazing. You should have been there. They were legitimately largemouth bass that were this long, and I caught four of them. I didn't even know it was possible for them to bite, right? They were tiny, uh, this long. I'm giving you the size. They were really small. Uh, but why, why, why in the world are you ever able to catch a fish? You're able to catch a fish because you trick them, right? You fool them. They they think that it's something, but deep inside that thing that they think they're getting, all they're getting is a hook. Well, just be careful that we don't seek for all of our gospel presentations to look like that. That I'm putting a, the bait out there and then just switching it and I got you. Let's not be clever in our gospel presentation. Remember, Paul didn't use flattering. He wasn't greedy. Paul was just giving them the plain old, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we give people a listening ear, we actually invite them into relationships with us and with Jesus. I want to challenge you this morning to present the gospel of Jesus Christ, you ready, in the spirit of Jesus and not in the spirit of this age. Now, let's talk about the difference between the spirit of Jesus and the spirit of this age. The spirit of this age is angry, is loud, is divisive, is prideful. Okay? If you don't believe me, all we have to do is look at politics. Right? It doesn't really matter if you're a Republican or Democrat or Independent or Libertarian or Green or whatever you want to be. It's all about how angry we can be and how well we can tear down our opponents. I want us to compare the spirit of our age with the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the meek. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, 29, he describes himself as being lowly and gentle. Gentle and lowly. As Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, he says to them, I came to you with gentleness. I believe it's in 1 Thessalonians 2, 8. He says, as a nursing mother with her children. This is the kind of gentleness, the kind of softness that is that is involved in Paul's presentation of the gospel. That he's actually willing to listen and not only willing to sort of hurl his gospel fireballs at people. Right? When's the last time that you stopped long enough to listen to somebody who is living a life far from Jesus and to consider why it was or why it is that turning to Jesus Christ might be incredibly challenging for them? We think of the gospel as the good news, as we should. 
Those of us that have given our lives to Christ or that have grown up maybe in a, in a, in a, in a, in a Christian home or a Christian or even a loosely Christian background, we often don't have an appreciation for how the gospel can be bad news for those who are living entrapped in their sin. I want you to imagine a situation where you're living a life far from Christ. That your entire community is non-believers. Your entire community of friends is made up of people that have no relationship with Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, let's imagine living in the kind of community among the kind of people who are actually opposed to the things of the Lord. And then consider what it looks like if you give your life to Jesus. You gain eternity, but you lose everything in this life. And often we don't take time to listen to those who are trapped in their sin. We're too busy trying to get across the message. Folks, we've got to be willing to listen to people. Whether Paul says that he went into the synagogue and he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Ready? For three Sabbath days. There was no clock making him be done in 30 minutes. You know what I mean? There was nobody tapping him. They're, they're in there. He's presenting his message. He's engaging. He's conversing. And then over the course of weeks, he'd leave. He'd probably speak to somebody in the marketplace or maybe they'd come see him at his house or wherever he was staying. They continued to reason with them and reason with the gospel. And Paul's saying, look, what you understand about Messiah is wrong. And maybe some of them come and they sit down and say, but Paul, we can't be wrong. Paul, this is what my mama thought. It's what my daddy thought. Paul... Paul, if, if, if I agree with what you say, then Paul, I'm losing everything. Paul, if I believe what you are claiming, and if I commit my life to that, Paul, the gospel is simple enough, but the cost for me is so great. I'm going to lose my mom. I'm going to lose my dad. I'm going to lose my brother. I'm going to lose my girlfriend or my boyfriend. I'm going to lose my spouse. Those of us that grew up with a Christian background often just do not have an appreciation for what the cost of following Jesus actually can be. And part of the reason that we don't listen is because we just don't have, you ready, empathy for those coming from hard places. We've got to be willing to listen. Give a listening ear. Paul, listen. And took time. And then finally, give of yourselves. Give of yourself. Paul said that he was among them seeking not to, to take anything from him. He said, look, I was an apostle. I could have demanded things from you, but I didn't. I supported my own self, as a matter of fact. I'm going to share a few things about me that maybe you don't know. I love cabbage. Like in all of its forms. Now I should acknowledge I've never eaten kimchi, but I bet I would love it too, okay? I love cabbage. Cooked cabbage, raw cabbage, slaw. I mean, I can sprinkle a little salt on cabbage and just go straight in with it, okay? It's good. I like it. I like it grilled. I like it steamed. I like it fried. I like it all egg rolls. What? Yeah, I mean, come on. I like it in my tacos. I like it on my salad. I like cabbage. Something else you might not know about me. I have been using the same hairbrush since I was 12 or 14 years old. I wash it. I have to pick lots of long hair out of it. I don't have long hair, but there are two 
young ladies in my house that loved my brush, apparently. I started to buy them one for Christmas a few years ago, but it is a collector's item, apparently. And on eBay, it's worth $45, and they aren't worth that for a hairbrush. But you know that telling about myself isn't actually giving of myself, right? It's not. So you know a unique thing about me, right? I've been using the same hairbrush. Great! It's white. Wonderful. What do you really know? Well, when we talk about giving of ourselves, what we're talking about is being willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. Are you willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel? Financially inconvenienced? Right? Inconvenience in your own home. Inconvenience in your time. This is what it means to give of yourself. This is meeting those people who are far from Jesus and doing more than throwing gospel fireballs at them but being willing to walk with them. Do you know there's a lot of people who are going to come to Jesus Christ and they're going to lose their community and you know what they're going to need? They're going to need a couch to sit on in the evenings because they don't have anybody else to sit with anymore. Has that ever occurred to you? You ever known a friend that got sober? Hopefully you have. Some of you in here know what that's like, right? And, 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 and those folks that get sober a lot of times, especially if they go through AA or something, they find meeting after meeting after meeting to attend because the reality is that for a lot of those folks, most of their community was wrapped up in the same lifestyle they were leading. Right? Some of you know what it's like just to need somebody to sit with because otherwise you're going to go sit at the bar. You just need somewhere to go. I had a friend years ago that was uh, working to get sober and he almost killed me. I mean, he almost, he didn't sleep. He wouldn't sleep. He couldn't sleep because he, he was a guy that had drunk himself to sleep for a long time. And so when he decided to start getting sober, he was smoking expensive cigars, which I don't know how he afforded, and not sleeping. So he was living on cigars and black coffee and, and reruns of Sweet Home Alabama. Y'all remember that movie? Right? Over and I was like, dude, you've got to work on this. And so then he, he went to Point Break. I mean, it was, it was awful. That was all it was. I'm not kidding. The old one, not the new one. But I mean, I, I, I look at my watch. This is long before I was married or had kids. I look at my watch. I say, dude, I, I got to go to bed. I love you, but it's 1230 at night. I got to be awake at 530. I have to go to bed. I, I, I hope, I hope that you can stay sober for the next hour before you fall asleep because I can't do this anymore with you. Right? And every once in a while, he'd show up at, at, my, at the place I was staying with a cup of coffee before 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, brother, what in the world are you doing? Do you know that sometimes if we're going to see people come to Jesus who are far from Christ, we're going to have to be inconvenienced. I hope you don't have to be up till midnight and then back up at 5 in the morning, but you might. Sometimes they just need a couch to sit on or sleep on. You know what? They just need a table where they can eat. A meal that they can share with somebody. That's going to be inconvenience. But that's what God's called us to. This is why hospitality matters so much in the New Testament. That's why we see it being called upon over and over because those people who are being given life in Christ, they're being given hope in Jesus, they're being redeemed from their old life, brought into a new life, and they've got to experience and discover relationships and community there. 
And it's for those reasons that I would encourage you this morning. See, Paul didn't presume upon the Thessalonians. He supported himself. But he didn't only share the gospel. He shared himself as well because he understood they needed more. And for that reason, I want to encourage you this morning. Build relationships and not evangelism hit lists. I like that. Somebody said, oh, that was good. I was hoping I'd get a few more of those. I got a friend that's a Nazarene pastor. And he says that they, they, they don't have like a contact list or something. They have responsibility lists. I like that. I like that. There, there, there are probably some people in your life that you need to take spiritual responsibility for. That you need to take spiritual responsibility for. You need to begin praying earnestly for those people. Giving them a listening ear. Giving of yourself to them. And giving them the gospel. But folks, let me just encourage you that as you're trying to share Jesus with people, make sure that you're sharing Jesus with people. Not just sharing Jesus to notch a mark in your belt. There are people all over our world, all in our community, who are not here today and who are not anywhere today. Some of them are still hungover from last night. Some of them are still heartbroken from last week. Some of them are living in abusive relationships. Some of them are living in hard places and hard times. And they don't need a Christian to run by and fold a a gospel track up into a paper airplane and sail it through their window and scream, Jesus loves you, and run on. They don't need you knocking on their door and leaving Jesus. They need you to come in. Or they need to be invited into your life. And they need to know that you see them as human beings, image bearers of God. You see, part of the, I guess the personal interest story in Acts 17 is that these people were mad because of what had happened. The gospel was enough to bring about enough conversion, enough shift, enough change that the Jews were angry at Paul's message. And so they sought to have Paul arrested. Well, they knock on the door and they discover, oh, no, Paul's not there. But then Jason was there. Do you, do you recognize that Luke gave us his name? Luke gave us his name because Paul and Silas were sharing the gospel with people, real people, with real names. This wasn't just a person. This wasn't just a somebody. It wasn't a target. This was a person. A person whose life was being changed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. How long did it take? I don't know. Some of you shared the gospel with somebody last week and they didn't come to Christ and you felt like you failed. No. Did you build a relationship with somebody? Did you create an opportunity for you to go back and share again? And maybe again and again. Did you do that? I spent some time with somebody not too long ago. And uh, I just had an opportunity just to be honest. I said, you know what? I'm interested in this relationship because I think you need something I have to offer. And I got this really confused look like, it's like I, I, I actually care about you. I actually care. When's the last time you cared enough about somebody that you met in the community to make them a point of prayer and to seek to build a relationship with them so that you could share the gospel? When's the last time? People like to get all down on like relational evangelism or friendship evangelism. I, I want to encourage you not to be all down on it. There's some people that are only going to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ if we invest enough in them to know a little bit more about them than their first name. 
We've got to be willing to give of ourselves. Paul gave of himself to the Thessalonians. And as a result, there was a harvest. And what was the harvest? A church grew up in that place. There wasn't one person that came to Jesus. The Bible says there were many. Many Jews and Greeks and, and even some of the leading women. What does that mean? That means that Paul's message was actually resonating with all sorts of different people from all sorts of different social classes. It had crossed ethnic boundaries. It had crossed gender boundaries. It had crossed financial boundaries. The gospel message of Jesus Christ was reaching across all these boundaries and these people were finding unification not around their personal identity but around Jesus Christ who, you ready, became their identity. So I ask you this morning, is it really enough? And I'll answer my own question this way. The gospel is enough if you're willing to share it. The gospel is enough if you are willing to share it. Why aren't you? I mostly talk about good things when I preach. I like to build y'all up. But I'm going to say something that's kind of hard to stomach. And I want you to pay attention. God's blessed our church. We're growing. So I think there's probably about 385 people here this morning. <coughs> Higher than that? Oh, okay. We're, we're out on it. Okay, about 385. That's what I'm guessing. Me and Adam had a little, not a wager. That would be wrong. <laughs> so there's around 385 people here this morning. That, that's adults, children, that's everybody. About 385. Okay. And, and we grew about 25% uh, last year. We, we expect to probably see another 25% growth in the next, maybe, maybe three months. I have no idea. We're growing like crazy. Okay? But if we grow about 100 people in the next three months, that still means that most of y'all haven't shared Jesus with anybody. You see, we're, we're talking about opening up another, essentially, you know, 300 seats here. There's 385 people here. If we grow by 200, that still means that most of you probably didn't share Jesus with anybody. I'm not trying to beat you down. I just want you to understand. The statistics are really bad when we consider what most evangelicals tell us. That less than 10% consistently share their faith with anybody. If general rules work out, then about 20% of y'all are doing about 80% of the work, which means probably about 20% of y'all are inviting 80% of the people to show up. Is the gospel really enough? It is. But it's only enough if people hear it. This morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, I want you to know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that He lived, died, was buried, and rose again. And He did all those things because you're a sinner in need of a Savior. He did all those things to take the punishment that you deserved. And this morning, in just a minute, we're going to stand and sing. And when we do, I would like to talk with you more about what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. But for those of you that belong to Jesus, I want to remind you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that He lived, 
died, was buried, and rose again for sinners just like you and me. And I want you to know that there are tens of thousands of people within a 10-minute radius of this church building who are in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have the greatest news the world has ever known. Why aren't you sharing? Give them the gospel. Give them a listening ear. And give of yourself. Will it cost you? Yeah. Is the cost worth it? Do you know that only you can answer that question? As we stand and sing this morning, you may want to come and pray for the Lord to give you the courage to share the gospel more regularly. As we stand and sing this morning, some of you may want to pray. You may want to come up here and pray. You might want to bow down at this altar and say, Lord God, these are the people that I need to be spiritually responsible for. Show me how I can reach them. Maybe it's a friend, a neighbor, a child, a parent. Come this morning as the Lord works. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you, praise you, we love you. We know that Jesus is enough. I pray, Lord God, that we would never, ever lose sight of the power of the gospel to save. May we be the kind of people who give the gospel give listening ears, Lord God, and give them ourselves so that many might come to know Jesus Christ. In His name we pray.